Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Let's Read the Bible Together reading plan. We also have that plan available on our website, grove.church. But let's be honest, this is the last true week of reading this year of 2022. And it's crazy to think about that, that this is the last episode of this year, uh, but we get to start a new episode next year. So hope you stay tuned with us in the in the years to come. Uh, but we also will continue to ask questions or answer questions. So if you've got questions, we want to answer them. There's three ways that you can send them to us. One is a email. The email address is infogrove.church. The second way, uh, I guess, make sure to put in that subject line a podcast question. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's way we'll get this way we'll get the question. The second way is, or the third way is actually direct messaging us. We are the Grove Church in Washington State via Facebook. You can DM us there, or if you're on Instagram, our handle is the Grove Ch. You can direct direct message us on that app as well, uh, and those questions get to us, so we get to spend time as much as we can answering them. So, Merry Christmas, by the way, and Happy New Year. Yeah, it's, it's right in that window. Well, this is this is. This episode will release on Christmas Day. Yeah. Sorry to spoil it. We're not actually here on Christmas recording. What? No, just kidding. Um, I'll be here. Where are you going to be? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, So like Aaron said, though, this is our last episode of the year, which, you know, uh, this is the first year, Aaron, that we have not missed a week. We actually went through and we did from the second week of January all the way through. We didn't miss. And listeners, I'm excited to announce that this year, this upcoming year, we're not missing any weeks. No, we have. Yeah, we're going to record an episode today as well for the first week of January. So we actually, if all, if all goes according to plan, we'll have 52 episodes next year. So Let's that'll go. Be, that'll be a good time. Uh, what a then, fun year it's been. Let's just be honest. Oh, it's, yeah. it's a fun year. I look forward. We're actually just a little, little spoiler. Uh, we've got a section at the end of the podcast. Where we'll just kind of take a moment to reflect over the last year, some things that we stood out to each of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll spend time with that. But it's been a fun year. And then the final thing I'll say is uh, for next year, we have the reading plan uh, picked out. So it's going to be the one-year chronological Bible. If you look that up on version, uh, we'll have it up. My, it might not be up by when you're listening to this, but before the first of the year, it'll be up on the website as well, if that's the way that you read the plan along. Uh, and then also, version did this really cool thing. So the version Bible app is like, it's our favorite Bible app that we use. Um, you can actually set your home church. So if you attend the Grove Church, or if your church doesn't have a thing on version and you want to set our church as your home church, uh, what that will do is it'll let you get updated with every time we change the plan as well. So in the future, you won't have to go searching for the plan. It'll just appear and you'll get a notification. So cool deal that cool deal there. Uh, set the Grove Church as your home church on version, And then if not, it's the chronological, the Bible in a year chronological plan. All righty. So let's finish up Isaiah, the last book. I was about to say the last book of the Bible. That's not true. But the last book, <laughs> the last book that we're reading this year. I don't know what Bible you're reading, but and it's it's really fitting because we're gonna actually just take the last section of Isaiah that changes. It it changes in tone a lot. Um, it's called the Book of Consolation sometimes. So, uh, it, and it, you'll you'll see why. It's kind of this picture of the hope of Israel if they trust in Yahweh. And then I think part of what makes this section really interesting is the dual audiences of many of the chapters. Um, Isaiah is clearly speaking to the people of Jerusalem who had just weathered the Assyrian siege, um, but he also seems to be speaking later in different parts, speaking to the exiles of Israel after the fall of Jerusalem to Babylon, which is over a century later. Um, and so it's kind, of, it's kind of interesting to see how different things are fulfilled differently. And I, you always forget about the first siege of Jerusalem because you know, they held. <laughs> so like yeah. Sennacherib comes down, Hezekiah is the king, and the, they're actually repelled. Whereas in the second siege that, you know, Nebuchadnezzar... That doesn't actually, happen. Nope. Nebuchadnezzar <laughs> makes it through. Uh, so it's pretty cool. 
Hinson and Yates, uh, and they authored the book, uh, The Old Testament, or sorry, The Essence of the Old Testament, colon, a survey. Uh, <laughs> but we use their stuff a lot, and they break it down into three subsections that we'll use today. So chapters 40 through 48 are called The Promise of Peace. Chapters 49 through 57 are The Provision of Peace. And then chapters 58 through 66 are The Program of Peace. So let's start with chapter 40. And it begins with a, pa- a passage that applies to, again, like we talked about, it applies to Isaiah's primary audience, which is the uh, uh, which are the Jews at in his time, but it also interestingly applies to the Jews at the time of Christ and the believers and Ooh. and believers at the return of Christ. So Ooh. we kind of get a bunch of different things coming here, but we'll say you'll you'll see it. So it says comfort. Comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert the highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places... A plane. I'm not going to lie to you there. I lost my spot for a sec. Uh, and the glory of the Lord uh, shall be revealed, and all the flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry, and I say, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. That's one of my favorite verses. I love that verse. Um, but yeah, you can see in this section, right? The first part, speak tenderly to Jerusalem for and cry for her that her warfare is ended. Well, this is kind of, you, you can picture this as, yeah, Sennacherib has left. The Assyrians have left. You're not going to be under siege, at least for a while. Uh, and so you're, you're at peace. But then this next section where it says a voice um, a, of in the wilderness, a voice cries, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. Who talks about that? It's John the Baptist. Yes, so this, this passage here is looking forward to John the Baptist preparing a way for Christ. And then finally, we get into the end where it's talking about the, the end of all things. It's something that has, hasn't even happened yet. So it's kind of cool there that you see in this one poetic section, you have three different audiences that are all hearing things Um that apply that apply to them in different ways. So really, I like that section a lot. Um, as the chapter continues, uh, it looks at the greatness of God as a theme. So that's and that's a big theme throughout all of Isaiah. Uh, these sections are full full of poetic high points, extolling how no one is like Yahweh. And then it ends with this famous passage. So this is at the end of chapter forty. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is ever is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, but young and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So yeah, it's just this whole idea of God is who he says he is and lean on the Lord. Um, and, and this is where I think the tone is a little bit different from Jeremiah, right? Because the, the, 
the thought here is that, you know, if you lean on the Lord, he will deliver you. Whereas mm-hmm. in Jeremiah, it's lean on the Lord, even though all of these things are about to happen. It's, <laughs> it's, it's true. Yeah. The, the tone, it's, it's, a sl- it's a really subtle difference because there is some of that impending doom in Isaiah as well. But there's, there's a couple sections where it kind of just, it feels like the people have an opportunity to not, you know, to not screw it up, at least before Manasseh. So, and then Manasseh <laughs> Spoiler. just- Spoiler. Well, yeah, Manasseh ruins it. Uh, I feel like my voice is more gravelly today. I don't, I'm getting over being sick. I dig it. I, 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 I kind of like it too. I wish it was like this all the time. Uh, so chapter 41 gives us a really interesting contrast. The nations of the East are described as being mighty and terrifying. Uh, however, later Yahweh reminds his people to fear not for he is with them, to be not dismayed for he is their God. Um, and for me, it reminded me of Joshua when yep. he's kind of, yeah, be not afraid. It, it, that's kind of like the big thing that's being hammered home. Uh, it reminds me of that. And I think it's a powerful reminder that must've been for the later generations living in exile. So again, what's, what is God reminding Joshua about? He's, you know, you're going into a foreign land. Do not be afraid because I am with you. The exiles are going into a foreign land and they do not need to be afraid because mm-hmm. God's with them. Now, obviously different because Joshua is going to take the land and it's going to yeah. be Israel. Um, but for both of them, they're, go- they're going into a land full of strangers and God is saying, do not be afraid for I am with you. Uh, later in the chapter, it concludes with reminding the nations of the of the world how useless their idols are compared to the one true God. Um which I, yeah, I, I really like this theme as well because it, it kind of sometimes it goes a little bit, it, it goes back and forth a little bit because there's times in the reference where there's other gods that are referenced, basically like your gods are worthless. Um, in these sections of Isaiah, it's not gods; it's straight up idols is yeah. what's being described. Yeah. So it, and so it's not. Um, and I think this is also a mistake that a lot of the Israelites make, right? They view they view Yahweh as the greatest of the gods when no Yahweh is. God. He is yeah. the God. Like that's his whole, that's his whole thing. Um, he's so, not the greatest of, he's greater. Yeah. He's the one true God. So really, really interesting. I love how Isaiah hammers that home here. Uh, and then in chapter 42, it gives us the first of our four servant songs, which Ooh. point to Jesus as the Messiah. So this one goes, uh, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and faintly and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice on the earth and in the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit of those who can walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison of those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. I be- behold the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So, really cool. And then the remainder of chapter 42 is concerned with the praise, um, or like a new a new song is the actual word that's used there, uh, that should accompany the announcement of such a Messiah. So basically it's saying, here's the Messiah, it's, he's going to be amazing, Come on, celebrate, everyone. (laughs) Like, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. Uh, And then it's the failure of the people for all generations to listen and obey to Yahweh is also focused on at the end. Um, Also, this is just a fun fact, but when John the Baptist, 
when he asked Jesus for, I forgot, I, I should have written down the actual context of it, but he asked Jesus for a message and Jesus sends him back this passage from Isaiah, except he takes out the section with the prisoners going free. So it's basically like hmm. Jesus's subtle way of telling John that he's not actually going to be out of prison, but he's showing him that the signs of the Messiah are happening. So really, I don't know. I thought that, that's I always, interesting. I always think that's kind of interesting. Uh, chapter 43 returns to the theme that God's people should not fear for he is with them. Isaiah reminds Israel that it is Yahweh who has redeemed him and there will be no salvation except through Yahweh, um, which is really just the major theme of the Bible in general, so yeah. not just Isaiah. Uh, this chapter even explicitly mentions the exile to Babylon and coming redemption, just like there is no salvation except through Yahweh, there is not, ex- there is no escaping Yahweh's plan. So God is, he's being very clear here, you don't get to look other places for salvation. There's no yeah. other God, especially Molech, that's going to save you. Um, but also there's no other nations, right? Because yeah. I, and we talked about this a little bit, even like the good kings of Judah, um, their main failing a lot of times is that they trust in other nations to try and save them. And God is saying, no, it's, it's through me. That yeah. is the only way that you're going to escape wrath. That is the only way that you're going to be saved. So um, really important there as well. Uh, sounds pretty indicative of even today. Yeah. I mean, you're not, <laughs> we may not be looking to quote unquote other nations, but we look to other things uh, to provide safety, to provide salvation, things like that. So mm-hmm. Uh, it's very applicable, very relatable in that capacity. But yeah, well, I I, I should say I, I almost skipped over this chapter forty three. He mentioned uh, Isaiah mentions Babylon by name, which it's it's funny because like you you can read that and be like, oh yeah, Babylon, cool. Uh, no, this is like a century before <laughs> Babylon is like it's it's oh like, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, it exists. Babylon has existed for a very long time, but it's it's a um, Babylon existed mostly as kind of a sub state, and that's that's not the right word. Um, it's a it was a weaker state. Um, that was a little bit subservient to Assyria at different times. So Assyria would sometimes conquer Babylon and then the Babylonians would drive them back out. Um, But Assyria was the clear power, the dominant power in the region. Babylon was just one of the other kingdoms. Uh, But Isaiah here is obviously through the inspiration of of God, through the inspiration of Yahweh, he is showing that like, well, listen, Babylon specifically, they're going to be a problem here later, which uh, fact fact checked, check true. Uh, Chapter 44 explores many of the same things from themes from the previous chapters, but in some new ways. And so here's a couple, here's a little excerpt from that. Uh, 44, starting in verse six, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last besides me. There is no God who is like me. Let him proclaim it. Let him declare it and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from the old and declared it? Are you my witnesses? Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. So really cool. It kind of gets back to the thing we were talking about, where it's not that there's other gods and Yahweh is the most powerful. It's that, no, there's no one. Um, And so Israel has been chosen by Yahweh, who alone is God. Um, And this is interesting because the passage is literally here. There is no God. There is no Elohim besides Yahweh. Um, And so it's actually, sorry, Elohim is the word that's translated as God in our English Bibles. So that's the Hebrew word for the, um, it's the Hebrew word for the title of God. And whereas Yahweh is the personal name of God. Um, And so the words here are, there is no Elohim besides Yahweh. So in other words, Yahweh is not just unique in the fact that that is the specific God. Yahweh is unique in the fact that he is the only Elohim. So kind of cool. Um, 
The chapter continues by exploring the theme of idolatry, uh, or the theme that idolatry is utter foolishness, and that Yahweh will be the only one to redeem Israel. In case you know, in case you're not picking up on that, like the <laughs> stop trusting other people. What I didn't know. Oh man, uh, chapter forty-five is pretty bananas. I put, so uh, if you thought if you thought the kind of calling out Babylon as being a problem was impressive, uh, he specifically names Cyrus, the king of Persia, as the one who will return the Jews to Jerusalem. So. He's and it's not like he it's not like a vague prophecy where he's like yeah one day there will come a king he doesn't even say well, you know one day there'll be a king of Persia he says Cyrus <laughs> he, he's the yeah, one that's true he's the one that I have chosen and so there you go it's it's pretty it's pretty cool that how um the the prophecy in the Bible is sometimes you know sometimes it's kind of intentionally vague I think God leaves it intentionally vague to kind of let um. I don't know how to phrase it, basically let things be a surprise, I suppose. I think of the messianic prophecies there. And then sometimes he's just straight up like, no, this is going to happen. Daniel comes to yep. mind there. Yeah, very true. Daniel's a little bit vague. I guess they don't name the name of, they don't name the nations. But as soon as everything happens and you look back, you're like, oh yeah, this is clearly yep. what happened here. Um, so it is interesting that the Ramshaka claimed to be working on Yahweh's behalf. So remember, I should, I should go back to, was that last week or the week before? It was last week. Um, the Ramshaka is the servant of Assyria who goes to the walls of Jerusalem and basically says like, oh, don't, don't tell me that your king is saying that Yahweh is going to deliver you. That's ridiculous. And then he, the, the Ramshaka straight up claims, we are working on God's behalf. He, he has, told us to come. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's literally taking that, uh, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, it's breaking to a whole that new level. Yeah, it's take, it's breaking that commandment in the most literal sense. As <laughs> like that's straight up what they're doing. Um, and both Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, I put it in the notes. I spelt this right on the first try. I was really proud of myself. So I typed out Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> and literally every time I type it out, I hit the space bar and I wait for the red squiggly line. It never came because I actually nailed it, and that was really I was really happy. It'd be what, really funny if you actually did spell it wrong, but that'd you be did. Funny. What do what a way to end the year? Gold uh, star. You get the gold star today. Yep. In so, the spelling bee. So Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus are actually both described as being chosen by God. Um, the line is, "I I call you by name. I name you, though you do not know me." I thought that was really interesting about. And that's about Cyrus specifically. Yeah. So Nebuchadnezzar is described as chosen by God to do his 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 um his work, but it's it's also pretty clear that he's not a servant of the Lord. Yeah. Like Nebuchadnezzar is really bad. Cyrus is like actually like all things considered a very good king if you're not grading on the scale of you know Yahweh worship, but just how he treats the Israelites. Cyrus is a really good dude. Um, and so the, and I, the yeah, I just like I said, I thought the language of I call you by your name, I name you, though you do not know me. I just thought that was a really interesting yeah, way of saying it. And it is true. And Cyrus will be used by God to um, basically the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Those are all happening because uh, God uses Cyrus in that way. So chapters 46 through 47 turn the attention back to Babylon, which again is nuts considering Assyria is still the region, the major power in the region. Uh, and chapter 46, the gods slash idols of Babylon are shown to be worthless, which I mean, yep. So... They don't do much. Uh, in chapter 47, Babylon's eventual humiliation and destruction are foretold. Finally. So, yeah. And I think, it, you know, I, it's funny, like, this isn't in our end of year reflections, but I, I did think it was interesting that the the question of what is going to happen to the wicked nations that God is using to 
um, enact his punishment for Israel. Is that it's actually addressed in a lot of the prophets. I always kind of viewed it as a Haggai question, but mm-hmm. it actually does come not Haggai, Habakkuk question. Okay. Um, but it actually comes up in quite a few of the prophetic books of essentially like here's like don't don't worry, they will also be punished. So it's kind of kind of cool there. And then finally, for this section at least, uh, in chapter forty-eight, God speaks of refining Israel, um, which I always want to. I think sometimes like we think of like refining and like, oh yeah, I'm going to be better. Like, well, keep in mind the metaphor here is like melting down ore to create a pure metal. Um, so it would not be a pleasant process. Nope. So, and this is absolutely what God is going to do. He refines Israel and we yeah. see them come out um, as a much more God fearing nation, but it's not, it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be pretty. So, and then finally the section concludes with Yahweh warning Israel to flee from wickedness. I bet you they do that. I bet you they, yeah, they, I bet you they don't start sacrificing kids in like the next generation. Who would do such a thing? Oh my gosh. Freaking oh, man. NASA. All right. <laughs> well, that wraps up this, uh, this first part of three parts of the, at the end of Isaiah. Uh, but before we continue on, we do want to take a second to, uh, Hey, you know, listeners, it's Christmas. And if you want to give me and Aaron the best Christmas gift that you could give us, you could leave us a five-star review on, uh, and, you know, I'm just going to say it on Apple Podcasts because we're so close to 100. <laughs> just do it. Um, yeah, I, like we you know, I always joke, nothing actually happens if we hit 100. But you know, it's just a nice. It's just it's a cool. It's number. a milestone. It's exactly. a milestone. Uh, but no, it does help. It does help get the podcast out there to more people. It's not just for our vanity. It's so that uh, we can continue to grow this community of people. And it's been really cool. Like we obviously we could see the stats on the back end. Um, it's really cool to see how many more people are kind of getting involved in this, and then all the different areas of the U.S. and then yeah. also like different countries around the world. It, it's it's really cool to see where all of the listenership comes from. So uh, thanks for tuning in. Exactly. And staying with us. And we look forward to a new year of all of that. Oh yeah. Season but, five. But before we get there, we got to finish awesome. up season four. So uh, we're, the second part here of Isaiah as we're, we're taking this three part finale, so to speak, uh, the trilogy, if you will, uh, we talked about the idea of the, the promise of peace. Uh, this next section is chapter 49 to 57 really is about the provision of peace. Um, and so we're going to see, and we're going. This is where you'll see a lot of the conversation shift uh, towards this idea of the servant of the Lord. Uh, it was kind of alluded to already in the previous section, as far as like the servant songs. Uh, you'll see a pretty. Uh, I, I think it's pretty well known uh, in the Christian world that one of the main servant songs that exist here in this section uh, between chapters forty nine and fifty seven. Um, but this is where you're going to find that the focus shifts to this idea of. God's provision through the, the servant, through the suffering servant. Um, and, and so you'll see uh, in chapter 49 here, you'll speak that the, it speaks directly to, about the servant of the Lord um, who will save God's people from with the salvation for the whole world. Uh, and I think it's important to realize it's not just the salvation for God's people then, but it's for the whole world. Like the whole idea, and you see this through the redemptive narrative, and I, I kind of allude to this at the end when we reflect on that the whole year, but you see the reality of God's heart has always been for all people. It's not been for a specific people only, um, but God's heart has really been that he would establish his own people for the hope of the world. Uh, and so you see that even here, like the servant of the Lord, the salvation that he's bringing is one for his people, but for the whole world. Um and, and even reading it while you read some of it, it's going to have this I language, this first person language. And so it, when I first read through it, it, I started reading as if it was Isaiah speaking. And Isaiah is speaking, he's prophetically speaking on behalf of the the actual, I guess, the Messiah, because that's what the servant song is for. Um, 
And so I think the prophetic nature in chapter 49 is pretty powerful that I think is important to realize as you're reading through it. Uh, you'll see in chapter 50 that we'll, we'll talk it will talk through specifically the contrast of Israel's sins versus the servant's obedience. Uh, where Israel has fallen short, the servant remains faithful. Uh, and you see this little glimpse here uh, in, in Psalm, or not Psalm, Isaiah 50, verse 4 through 6. The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are instructed to know how to sustain the weary with a word. He awakens me each morning. And this is where you feel the first person a bit, where it's Isaiah speaking, but it really is in prophetic, uh, in a prophetic moment or thought process of the suffering servant, specifically the servant of the Lord, specifically. Uh, it says, he awakens me each morning. He awakens my ear to listen to those, like those being instructed. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I did not turn back. This is the contrast that you see between Israel's sinfulness and constant rebellion to other idols. And, and turning away from God. And the, the servant remains faithful and obedient. Uh, he says, I gave, and this is where I think it, you you begin to see in this section specifically, you will begin to see the, uh, pro, the, prophet, the prophecies about the coming Messiah. And so you'll see these things. Now that we are in a New Testament era, we see the New Testament, we understand Jesus, but you begin to see these things that are prophesied hundreds of years prior to Christ's death. And, and you see them spoken about here in Isaiah. Uh, it says this in verse six, that I gave my back to those who beat me, my cheekbones to those who tore out my beard. I did not hide my face from scorn and spitting. Uh, and so you see this picture of the suffering servant. You see this picture of the servant, which is which is the Messiah. Which, which and if someone tore my beard out, I would not <laughs> offer them my cheek. Listen, offer them the old listen, nux. When my when my daughter pulls on my beard every now and then, and my beard is not nearly as long or thick as yours. Thank you. Uh, and you've trimmed yours up, so it's not as thick as and bushy as it used to be. Ashley likes it high and tight. Um, but... Uh, it hurts. Like the beard hair is not easy, man. It hurts. Um, and so, but you see like this is an illusion, you know, not an illusion, but it's a, it's a prophetic utterance about what's going to happen with Christ. Um, and so you see that he is, he, he begins to point towards him being the fulfillment of the servant. Um, you see in chapter 51, we'll show the exhortations of the servant. Um, and when, when God's people respond with faith, you see the blessings and comfort that he's promised uh, Psalm 52 and 53, and this is what I was saying, contains probably the most um, clear messianic prophecy in Isaiah. Um, it reveals the plan and hope for the coming salvation of God through a suffering servant. Um, I do think the precursor to this passage is pretty is a pretty incredible passage. I'm not going to read it because I want you to read it, um, but it's a call to get ready for the coming of salvation. You see this like anticipation. You see this call where it's it's this utterance of be ready and start getting ready. Get your stuff ready because because the Messiah is going to be here. Um, well, kind of reminds me of that. I, I, I guess I could just scroll back up in my notes. I don't remember, but the passage where it announces it's the first suffering servant song. It announces the coming of the Messiah, and then the rest of it's about like now rejoice, <laughs> new song. Like yeah. this is awesome. Yeah. So this is almost like the buildup. Like okay, we're going now. Okay, mm-hmm. now he's coming. Now that the, the Messiah is coming, and I and I would even remind us like as we're. I think it's 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 fun because it's dro- this this episode's dropping on Christmas, so it's almost the perfect time to listen to this because you are it should draw you back to when Christ arrived and the joy and the anticipation and the excitement mm-hmm. of what Christmas really is about, uh, which is about the birth of Christ. But you see, the nuance to this is not just rejoice because the Messiah is here, but the reality and the gravity and the weight of the, what the Messiah is going to endure should evoke a deep response of worship from us. <laughs> like it should evoke this, like you didn't just come for, so, like the way that you came. So we get out of life is, is you died. And, and it's, it's remarkable. We shouldn't bypass that or skip past that even in the Christmas season. Um, but I do want to read this. 
uh, specifically about the suffering servant in Isaiah 52, and then it goes into Isaiah 53, the first 12 verses, but it says this in verse 53 of chapter 52, or verse 13 of chapter 52. It says, see, my servant will be successful, which in and of itself is a remarkable statement. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man and his form did not resemble a human being. So we will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him, for they will see what they ha- what had not been told to them. They will understand what they had not heard. Who has believed and what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He he was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he bore, he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion. And I love the way CSB says this portion because this is like he was pierced for our iniquities. But he was pierced for our, because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of of oppression and judgment, and who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was a, he was with a rich man at his death because he had not done no violence because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully yet the lord was pleased to crush him severely when you make him a guilt offering he will see the seed he will prolong his days and by his hand the lord's pleasure will be accomplished after his anguish he will see the light and be satisfied by his knowledge my righteous servant will justify many and he will help carry their iniquities therefore i will give him the many as a portion and he will receive the mighty as spoil because he will sub- willingly submitted to death and was counted among rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. And I just love the picture of the suffering servant. I thought, and it's, it's something that I think we read and if we're so familiar with, sometimes we just kind of bypass quickly. And so I think that that's one of the things that I think is so remarkable to remember when it comes to the suffering servant and that the, the provision of peace is hinged and anchored to Jesus. And even in Isaiah statements, it talks about that truth. It's funny because I think this is the only passage of the Bible that when I think of it, I think of King James, the King James version, <laughs> but it's because these are the, it's the second, <laughs> it's the second movement of Handel's Messiah is this passage. And so, but like, I don't even know what that is. And the like, hallelujah. Oh God. Okay. That one. Yeah. I don't so, know the formal name for that. The boring part is uh, <laughs> the boring parts are this, are this part, but it was, I, mean, I, I, I shouldn't say that, but you know, <laughs> I watched, I it's, watched it once. It's kind of boring. Was, yeah. It's a little bit, you know, it doesn't pick up like Beethoven's ninth, um, but really good. <laughs> Hand, I mean, the handle, you know, the, the Messiah, the hallelujah chorus is awesome. Anyway, sorry. That's not the main point I was wanting to bring up. Uh, the thing that occurred to me while you were reading is in Isaiah 52, 13. So the very start of it, it said, see, my servant will be successful and he will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted, exalted. Um, Cause the first thing I thought of was that, um, Isaiah, so remember Isaiah's call, what's he told? He said that you're going to speak and you're not going to listen. And so my first instinct was like, yeah, Isaiah kind of fails 
and Jesus is the greater Isaiah because he succeeds. And then I realized, no, Isaiah doesn't actually fail. Like all of the prophets succeed at what God calls them to do. You could argue Jonah actually, but Jonah. Uh, but that the, guy. Um, but most most of the prophets, they they actually succeed at what God has them do. He he has them perform tasks that will not see success the way that we would see success. That's yeah, true. And in the same way. Christ performs a task that will not see success the way that we would see success, right? Like he's going through and then he's crucified and killed. And yep. by, by any other marker of the day, people will be like, well, that's a failed Messiah. But now, obviously, through the benefit of, of hindsight and everything, we see that no, going to the cross was the success. Yeah. Going to the cross was the point. Yeah, overcoming death, overcoming sin was, yeah. was success. And so I think it's, it's just interesting to me where... You know, because I think a lot of the Old Testament can can kind of be summed up as Jesus is the better blank, and you mm-hmm. find that section there. So I think it's really interesting that Jesus, in the same way that the prophets are called to do things that will be by will be looking on. If you look at it from the outside, what the prophets are called to do fails almost every single time, um, until you get to Haggai, yeah. Zechariah, Malachi. Yeah, right. Um, and if you look at it from the outside, the ministry of Christ fails. Um, but just like the prophets actually succeeded in doing what God had called them to do, um, Christ succeeds at what the Father calls them to do in a really powerful way. Yeah, and I think it's important. I mean, it, it reiterates the simple truth, like biblical sex success is obedience. That's what it is. And when we stay faithful and obedient to what God's word declares and what God asks of us, that's where we live in success. And I think, I mean, that translates to ministry life, that translates to, translates to parenting, that translates to education and work life and all these different things. Like, what is God asking of me? And am I doing it? That's success. Yep. And and that's why I think it's, it's so powerful to, as a reminder, like, Jesus was not visible. He wasn't like, he wasn't anything to, to write home about, man. He wasn't like a Hallmark movie because it's Hallmark season, right? He wasn't a Hallmark movie like Heartthrob. He he was... He's no Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, but but there, like he, but he was who God created him. Like created him to be, I guess, is a weird way to say it. But he came as a human, and, and but he was who God intended him to be when he walked this earth. Like, and he was obedient. And so I think that's a big layer of, of conversation. So... Um, You'll see chapter 54 as we move on and 55 kind of are, can be lumped together. Uh, you'll see the compassion that God has for his people here. And again, it's offered to all. It's not just um, it's not just for specific people like, okay, you get some, and but not you. Um, it, it really is. It's offered to all. The caveat to this is you. it's those who respond and to his terms and call. And so he can offer grace to all, but if no one's going to live in, and respond to grace and live accordingly... And this is this is for me is the greatest challenge of following Christ, is we can we can play Christianity pretty easily because we from the outward perspective we see I mean this is what Jesus was, was after all the time in the New Testament, it's this idea of on the outside you look clean but inside you're dirty you're filthy you're playing Christianity you're looking like the thing but are you really following me because the whole goal that, that of Christ's life is to lead us to our deaths. <laughs> So he can be glorified. That's that's the, I mean, if I'm going to overly simplify, and I feel like we use that, I use that phrase a lot on this podcast, but if I overly simplify this this, this simple thought, it's it's we are called to follow Christ to his death, period. And if we're not, we're, we're playing Christianity. We're, we're not serious about the work that Jesus has asked us. We're not obedient, so therefore we're not being successful. And so he offers compassion and grace to all. We see this in chapter 54 and 55. It's offered to all, but... There's, it's for those who respond to his terms. In other words, I set the standard is what God's saying. Your job is to be obedient to it. If you do that, there's compassion, there's grace, there's empowerment, there's comfort, there's meaning. There's all these things that we strive for. 
but it's all found in our obedience to Jesus. Uh, and, and we must see in moments like this, while yes, God established a people for himself in the Old Testament, we see this. Um, and then what I'm talking about moments where he's offering, it's to all, but there's a caveat where it means when we accept, we become a part of God's family, which means we're called to a different standard and a way of life. God establishes himself a people in the Old Testament, but the grander vision is that through these people, all might come to belong to his family. He didn't establish a people on his own in the Old Testament. That was part of the journey and the method of, of what God was up to early on in Old Testament history. But it was for for the world to set up for the world to be seen that his favor, his purpose, his provision. And so it's important for us to understand that this grander vision is, is for all people. So it translates to us today in 2022. Um, and you see this in in Isaiah 55, one through three, which is probably one of my favorite passages out of Isaiah, just to be honest. There's some incredible ones, um, but this one says this, just to give you a few verses, it says, come everyone who is thirsty, come to water and you without silver, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. Why do you spend silver on what is not food, your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully and eat what is good and you will enjoy the choicest of food. Pay attention and come in to me. Listen so that you will live. I will make a permanent covenant with you on the basis of the faithful kindnesses of David. And I love that it's, again, it's this open air conversation, this open invitation saying, come everyone who's tired and th- or thirsty. Let me give you water. You who don't have any silver, come buy and eat. You can still have what you need. I'm going to provide for you. And the invitations for everybody. Uh, and it's not just specific to God's people as he's established them, but it's really an open invitation. Uh, continuing on, you see chapter 56, the first Eight verses, we see God more blatantly include people here, uh, speaking directly to the foreigner and the eunuch, which in that time in biblical society, they were considered outcasts. And in this chapter, in this this section, you'll see him redefine stipulations for God's covenant. Uh, He removes the, 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 the nationality filter and he puts on the covenant filter. Will you do what I've asked you to do? Where we see circumcision as part of that. Um, but he establishes new stipulations for the covenant. Uh, the later part of chapter 56 into the first part of f- chapter 57, God's going to ir- expose irresponsible leaders and, and the idolatry that exists. Um, he's going to talk about righteous people that are dying. There's no movement or stirring in the hearts of these leaders. Uh, and he rebukes them for that. He, they're worshiping false idols uh, and of things and status are in comfort over God. He, they're worshiping in modern day translations. There are things, there are comforts, there are conveniences that that God's people are pursuing above and beyond him. Uh, and then you see in chapter 57, as we wrap up the second section here, uh, is that God makes a way for the repentant follower uh, and creates access back into God's family. Uh, and I'm just going to read the last seven verses here. It says this, hey, he said, build it up, build it up, prepare the way, remove every obstacle from my people's way. For the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says, I live in a whole high and holy place with the oppressed and lowly of spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the oppressed. For I will not accuse you forever. I will not always be hungry for then the spirit would grow weak before me, even the breath, which, which I have made because of his sinful greed. I was angry. I so I struck him. I was angry and hit. He, but he went on turning his back to the desires of his heart. He's calling out the religious leaders. Uh, but he says, I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners creating words of praise, the Lord says, peace, peace to the one who is far or near, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the storm-tossed sea, for it cannot be still, 
and its water churns up mire and muck. There is no peace for the wicked, says my God. Money don't grow on trees. <laughs> no. uh, and so that's kind of where, where Isaiah wraps it up in this section, right? As he's talking about the, the provision of peace exists in the suffering servant, those who are well, not following according to his standards as he redefines the stipulations of the covenant. There are those who are not righteous. They're living unrighteously. They're living for themselves. God calls them out, but he makes a way. He, for those who turn back to him, for those who hear the call to repent and come and turn back, he offers comfort and peace and grace. Uh, and that's the provision of peace that, that God brings in, the, in this section of Isaiah. All right. Well, let's continue on through the end of the book. Chapter 58 begins with a call to fast. Sorry, I should, I guess I should introduce the section. This is 58 through the rest. Uh, if the first part was the promise of peace and the second part is the provision of peace, this is the program of peace. So basically, hey, what's it going to look like when we actually get to- The triple P's of peace. The Ooh. Boom, shakalaka. I feel like alliteration is really where we fail as, as ministers of the gospel. We just don't. We Speak don't, for yourself, we don't do bro. It. I'm good at it. I don't do it enough. None of my messages have alliteration in them. Um, sorry. Anyway, so chapter 58 begins with the call to fast. Uh, however, like so many of the prophets, basically all of the prophets, uh, Isaiah is concerned with the genuineness of the genuineness of Israel's fasting and repentance. And it's the whole idea, right? Like God doesn't desire just the religious ritual, but the heart behind the ritual. Um, chapter 59, the wickedness of the people of Judah is condemned, and then it's contrasted with something else. So uh, let's, th- let's take a look at that. In Isaiah 59, starting in v- verse 14, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his upright and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head, which side note, I always thought the only references to those were in uh, the Pauline letter of, is it Ephesians with the armor of God? But anyway, I didn't know that there no. was other parts. Yeah. Here, here I am, you know. Well, just, you learn something new. Yeah. You learn something new every day. Uh, he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and he wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak according to their deeds. So he will repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, to the coastlands he will render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the West and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like rushing streams, which the wind of the Lord drives and a redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who turn from transgression declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of Uh, out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth forevermore. So again, we get one of those really cool messianic pictures in this passage that Isaiah is kind of just peppered with. And again, it's also fitting. We talked about this a bunch of times, but it's fitting um, on Christmas Day. We're talking about Christ in the Old Testament. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, chapter 60 through 62, take a look at the future glory of Zion. Uh, as a reminder, Zion is like another word for Jerusalem. I believe it's specifically the hill that Jerusalem is situated on. Uh, some of this can apply towards the people's return to Jerusalem from the exile, uh, but clearly much of this language looks forward to the new Jerusalem at the return of Christ that we hear more about in the book of Revelation. Uh, chapter 61 looks forward to the Messiah and has some echoes of Jesus' answer to John the Baptist. Um, so this is the spirit of, oh, I guess, I might have messed up earlier when I said the John the Baptist thing. 
Or maybe just the passages sound similar. Sorry, listeners. No, they sound similar. You didn't mess up earlier. I didn't mess up? No, okay, no, no. Sweet. So here's another... There's, over, there's overlap. <laughs> here's, a, here's an overlapping one. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open the prison, uh, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the Lord, the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance from our God, to comfort all those who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful... A uh, beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, uh, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that the, he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Okay, so there you go. That's the, uh, and the John the Baptist line that's left out is the to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Uh, later in or in chapter 62, the salvation of Zion is foretold. So remember, Jerusalem will eventually be saved, um, not from Babylon, but it will, it will, be, it will be returned to. Uh, chapters 63 through 66 offer the final look of judgment and mercy. Edom is, sing- is singled out, which, you know, yeah, checks out. So Edom, you'll remember, <laughs> is uh, I feel like this has come up a bunch of times. It's the book, Obadiah is the book that's specifically just about, you know, Edom, you suck. Um, but all throughout, right? Edom is the is the descendants of Esau. So Jacob or Israel and Esau are twin brothers um, and they reconcile at the end of their lives. And, and, that, and that is genuine. Like the two brothers actually come back together. But as their descendants keep going. Yeah, they don't, the descendants don't follow suit. Nope. And so we see like Edom is basically just cheering on like when the Assyrians first come to Jerusalem and then later on when the Babylonians actually take it. And, and God takes special exception to that. So Edom is kind of singled out. Uh, the coming day of judgment for Israel is also contrasted with memories of Israel's moments of faithfulness. So it, it almost reads as like a scene in a breakup and a, mo- a romantic movie where there's the breakup and the person is going back and forth because they're remembering like the good times and the bad. Um, I want to be careful with that because obviously God isn't going back and forth. Like, yeah, he, yeah, he, he knows what he's going to do, but the way it's reading is as basically, yes, there is going to be punishment, but remember when you were faithful, like during this instance and this instance, it's, it's kind of sad actually to, to read it. Uh, in the tail end of chapter 63 and all of 64, Isaiah prays for mercy on behalf of Israel. Um, I thought that was interesting just because remember God tells Jeremiah, don't bother doing that. Mm -hmm. So again, it's one of those things where while Isaiah also proclaims many of the same things that Jeremiah proclaims, there is that undercurrent in much of Isaiah that there's a way out. Whereas in Jeremiah, there is not that undercurrent. Um, the prayer carries a uh, particularly, yeah, like I said, it carries a particularly sad implication that all of this could have been avoided. Chapter 65 explores the interesting theme of the nation that Yahweh has called his own and is the one that rejected him. So he's talking, you know, he talks about how of all, you know, of all the people to reject me, this one kind of sucks the most because you are my people. You are the ones that I singled out. I, I rescued you out of slavery in Egypt, I picked Abraham, obviously before the, the Egypt thing, uh, but he he calls Moses, he gives them the law, and yet they are the nation that just reje- it hurts the most when they reject him. Um, Israel enjoyed a special place for their whole history, and yet they reject that special place. And this is getting back to that thing we've talked about so much this year of the, they became like the other nations. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see, I thought this was really interesting, we see the foundation being laid uh for the gospel spreading to the Gentiles, which obviously happens in the book of Acts. Uh, The back half of the chapter looks forward to the eventual return of Christ. And this has uh, really famous passages. So I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you'll know um, 
verse 25 is the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain, says the Lord. So we kind of get this picture of the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem specifically. Mm -hmm. And then finally, as we wrap up Isaiah chapter 66 explores three themes. It explores the theme that Yahweh favors the humble and the contrite. So basically, you know, pride goes before the fall. Uh, The second theme is Jerusalem shall one day be redeemed and glorified. So it's not just that Jerusalem will kind of be able to be returned to, but it will be kind of this focal point of the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, and then finally that Yahweh will be glorified through judgment. So there's, and I, I forgot, I, I wish I could give credit to whoever said this first, because I actually think it's really interesting, but um, there, I heard a pastor say years ago that you don't get a choice into whether or not you glorify God. You just have a choice as to whether or not you glorify God through his mercy or you glorify God through his judgment. And so I think that's kind of the way it goes of whether it's, God's mercy or whether it's God's judgment, God will be glorified. Yeah. All right. Well, this episode is going to be- Wait, 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 wait. Oh, well, you just- We're waiting. What's wrong with you? I didn't, read the last, okay? I didn't read the last words of Isaiah. You didn't put the last words of Isaiah? I in know. It. I did. I thought you about You the guy who says, I like to read the last words of every book. It's not every I got time. your back. So this is what it says. All right. We're going to start in verse 22. It says, for just as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, will remain before me. This is the Lord's declaration. So your offspring in your name will remain. All humanity will come to worship me. From one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, says the Lord. As they leave, they will see the dead bodies of those who have rebelled against me, for their worm will never die, their fire will never go out, and they will be a horror to all humanity. So, yeah, uh, so it ended it just actually, felt like, it just felt like a bummer. But here's the deal if it ended, it started off really good. Like the end of Isaiah, like for the, as just as the new heavens and the new earth, for which I will make will remain before me. Like he, he it's, it's uplifting, it's hopeful. Right. And then it's like, oh, and as they leave, by the way, you're going to see dead bodies and the worms will never die, the fire will never go out. It, it's going to be horror. And yeah, it's, it's that picture, like I said, of God's judgment is horrifying and glorifying to him. Yes. And it's going to be well, you get one or the other, man. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I, I don't say it to like be really a Debbie Downer, but I do think it's like, that's the end of Isaiah. That's where the book ends. And there's some hope. There's the talk about the future and the restoration and the coming, you know, return of Christ. But then there's also the, the other side of it too, right? That that's, that's just the raw reality of, of what's coming. And so, um, so it's worth, I think it's worth still highlighting over those kind of feels like a downer. It's not because for you and I as followers, if you and I follow Christ, it's hopeful. Like the wrath of God from Revelation isn't poured out against us. It's a it's a poured out against those who are sinful and chose and who have chosen to reject God. Now I I don't I'm not rejoicing in that. I'm rejoicing in the fact that I'm not going to be punished, and I want everyone to be a part of that. So, anyways, absolutely, that's it. That's the end of Isaiah. I'm going to call a quick audible here. We have two sections left, uh, and we're going to do them both. But so this will be a little bit of a longer episode, listeners. So hopefully you're okay with surprise, that. Surprise, surprise. Uh, but I think let's do, we have a Christmassy question. So let's Ooh, do the fancy. question let's first. Let's do that. Yeah, and yeah. then we have a special segment at the end. So our question says, oh, let's read the Bible, wise men. Thank get you. it? Because it's Christmas time. <laughs> uh, Luke, <laughs> Luke 2, 18 states, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Uh, and that's all we hear about them. These villagers slash residents of Bethlehem get no further mention. And that's really depressing. Why does nobody <laughs> seemingly go to see Christ? Is this indicative of today where we resist telling people because we're convinced at best they'll just marvel and do nothing else? Discuss. Okay. <laughs> so I, I thought this one was fun because it's, it, you know, it doesn't require research really. It's just yeah. kind of like thinking about it. Um, I So A, I do, I do not think the problem is that the shepherds didn't tell people. I think they told people for sure. Yeah. Um, I think here's what you have to imagine. Um, these 
shepherds just come wandering into the town at night and they're shouting about how, guys, you're not going to believe this. We saw a bunch of angels and the Messiah has been born. Um, I would probably not believe them. You know, and that says a lot. That says bad things about me, right? But I, I think... Yeah, drastically. Yeah, but as the, uh, I think as the people of Bethlehem, to to them, for those of them who aren't aware, it must have just seemed like absolute madness of what the shepherds were saying. And so I think that is part of it there. Um, and then I think it, it also just goes to show that, you know, when, I, I've said this a few times, but when God does something incredible, there's usually a miracle that accompanies it so that people understand, like, no, this is legit. Um, and so what happens at the birth of Christ? Well, A, there's the virgin birth, which is obviously a big deal that kind of confirms it for Mary and Joseph. Um, but with the shepherds, you see the angels appearing and the glory of the Lord shining around them and literally declaring, this is what's going to happen. So the shepherds absolutely believe it. And I think I, I would say that they declare it to, to as many people as will listen. Um, but to the people who were listening, like I said, it, it must have seemed to some of them like it was just like, okay, whatever, man. And then they yeah. kind of move on with their lives. So that that's what I would think happened there. It is sad. Like it is kind of like, imagine like, I don't know. I, I like to think that a bunch of we'll meet a bunch of those people in heaven, but just like imagine the people who were staying at the inn <laughs> and Christ is born. I was right there. Yeah, and they don't even like, oh yeah, they, it's like nothing. It's like we're not even gonna go down to the stable. It's whatever. So this is kind of interesting to think about. Well, and I, I it's funny, I take the different approach where I actually don't think I don't think that's what's 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 important at all. I think the the reason for the shepherds being a part of the story is, I think, significant, um, but we don't. We, it, scripture doesn't say exactly what happened afterwards, um, right? So, if I go back to the passage, right? If I go back to two eighteen, of chapter of, of Luke, chapter two, um, it's right after Jesus or the angel showed up. Right after they said, "Don't be afraid," the Messiah has been born, um, and they sang, "Glory to God in the highest," praise God, saying, "And peace on earth to all to people He favors." And, you know, right before when the angels had left them, they returned, they said, let's go to Bethlehem. They hurried off, found Joseph and Mary and the baby. After seeing them, it says this, and I think it's important. It says, after seeing them, they were reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to him. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned. So there's part of me, like there's a, there's, there's a, there's something that we're not seeing and something that's not being revealed is we don't know what happened from the time the shepherds said something to the moment, what was Mary putting, pondering in her heart about? And then the shepherds left. Um, so there had to be some sick, significant commotion, in my opinion, in that, in that, if I'm just reading from my perspective. Well, this is all those who heard. So it's, uh, that, that would seem to imply it's not just Mary and Joseph. Yes, and not just the shepherds, right? Maybe it's mm-hmm. the shepherds, but it, there had to have been, and I would say, yeah, in the middle of the night, they're sharing, reporting, oh my goodness, everyone's got to see this. Like people popping out the windows and like, what's going on? Who's making that? It was a bunch of lowly shepherds, right? Um, so I'm sure some people heard the message and didn't respond because it's lowly shepherds who are uneducated and they're some of the lowest class of society at that point. Um, but for Mary to ponder up everything in her heart, what's happening, I think that's significant. Um, and and so I think that that and meditating on them and the shepherds return, glorifying, praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which they were the way they had just been told about. I do think there's something more that happened that they were unaware of. Um, because in that moment, this the significant part of the story is not who's responding. The significant part of the story is the fact that the shepherds were told, they went and found, told everybody they could because they were amazed. They had some like interaction with Mary and Joseph. Mary's pondering and amazed at this. 
Um, and the thing is like Luke has more understanding of what actually happened, what transpired in that moment, but that's not the important to give you every nitty gritty detail about that experience. And so I, I would say it's not really depressing because it's such a joyful, like it's such an incredible occasion. Mm-hmm. We don't really understand every, or even see everything in scripture, who was actually there at the manger. Um, I actually would say there's less commotion and less of an audience when the wise men showed up than when yeah. the shepherds showed up. Um, where I would say it was probably a little bit more low key with the wise men showing up than with the shepherds. Um, because the wise men showed up, presented gifts, and I'm sure there was some kind of spectacle to it, but I actually think the the shepherds presented the most um, amazement in that moment. And so for me, as I look about, as, as I read that and I read through the passage of scripture, I think, yeah, the shepherds told them there was something going on where Mary's like stopping and observing and pondering and in awe of what's happening and meditating on these things. Um, and then the shepherds leave. So that for me, there, there's more than just a, hey, they went and told everybody, no one responded, they went back to the fields. I think there was some more commotion and interaction there. That's just my totally open-handed perspective yeah. as I'm reading in it. Well, yeah, we're both just kind of <laughs> speculating. But yeah, so yeah there, we're there shooting the breeze. Yeah, it's a fun question though. Hope you enjoyed that. All right, final segment today. Uh, we want to do... What what did we learn this year? Yeah, we uh, want to reflect on the last year. Yeah, uh, and just take a few highlights. So we'll go we'll go back and forth, kind of sharing some of our thoughts. Uh, we won't take a ton of time on this, but I think there's uh, just a few things that stood out to me and Aaron, yeah. just on, on the entirety of the year. Um, for me, my number one takeaway was the theme of Israel becoming more like the other nations, and mm. I'm, that probably won't surprise you because I've brought it up a bunch because yeah. it kind of just clicked with me. Yeah. And I was like, oh. That's what it's all about. Um, and so for me, it was the ending of, of Second Kings where it just ends in this really weird way where it's just – I always forget if it's Jehoiakim or Jehoiakim, but whichever – which one <laughs> or one of the Jehoiakims uh, were, uh, were stuck over there. Um, and it's just like, yeah, and he lived at the court of Babylon and never wanted for anything. And like basically the implication is like, yeah, he's, he's pretty happy and he, that's where he lives. And it's like that's such a weird way to end the book. Like yeah. it's about – the destruction of Jerusalem and how all the people are being driven into exile. And then it's talking about how the king is just like, yeah, he's in a pretty good spot over there. Um, and I realized like, oh, it's it's the answer to the question in Samuel of we want to – not the question, I guess, the statement in Samuel that we want to be like the other nations. Yeah. And what, what do we see with Israel? They constantly struggle with just being like all the other nations, whether it's worshiping the same gods, because that's what Solomon does, right? He imports all of the other gods from the surrounding kingdoms. They want a king because they want to be like the other nations. They want to form alliances with the other nations. And then finally, what do they end up with? They end up being under the thumb of the ruling empires mm-hmm. of of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, just like all the other nations. So uh, that's what's, that, that was my number one one. That number one. That was my number, number one. Number one one. My number one one. My number one theme that stood out to me this year. Yeah. No, and I would totally agree. I actually think that I didn't write that in because you put it in there. And I, I think that was one of the most profound moments of just even our dialogue was the simple depth of they got what they wanted. Like from the start to the end, it came full circle and they got what they wanted. I thought that was so powerful. Uh, and uh, the other thing too, and I, I even alluded to it in this um I would say like the number one thing that stood out to me is, is just this, and it sounds so cliche and so pastoral, I even like felt kind of ridiculous writing it, but the, just, the, just the idea of the redemptive narrative throughout the entirety of scripture. I think reading through the Bible in a year like we've done, uh, and I'll be totally transparent, I didn't read through it chapter by chapter like everyone else did. I, I studied for it because I was doing a different rhythm of my own Bible reading life this year, but being engaged with scripture throughout the year 
in the rhythm that we did, it was it was so profound to me to just watch in these different glimpses and different moments. I even alluded to it in in the conversation about Isaiah earlier, but just the idea like it's for all people. Like God's intention was to redeem all of humanity. God's intention, and it wasn't just a New Testament thought. It's actually an Old Testament thought. And God establishing his people, he was creating in them to be a model for the hope of the world that only comes from belonging to his family. So um, I thought that was probably one of the most profound reminders and reoccurring ideas that kept triggering thoughts in my head just about God's depth and his 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 provision uh, through this redemptive narrative throughout all of scripture. That's a great one. Uh, for me, my second one was, and this is this is less, I guess, profound or applicable. I just thought it was really. I, I this was my first year where I really did a deep dive into Ezekiel because I think you mm-hmm. did Ezekiel yep. last year. Yep. Um, and so I was struck because we did Ezekiel and Revelation right next to each other. Which yeah, I, which is so crazy. Yeah, which is obviously like planned by the. So shout out to the Let's Read the Bible Together reading plan. Good people, work, guys. whoever did that. Um, but yeah, all of a sudden I was like seeing like, oh, here's all of the echoes of Ezekiel in Revelation, yeah. where the language is so similar. Um, even the call of the prophet because Ezekiel's is wacky, where he eats. <laughs> He eats the scroll, um, and then that is how, like, basically, it's he's internalizing the word of yeah. the Lord, and then that's what John does in Revelation. And so, seeing how, um, you know, Ezekiel and Daniel are kind of the wackiest of the prophets, I suppose, in terms of like how, um, not like the, the prophecy is obviously true, and it's it's from yeah. God, um, but as far as like what they're talking about, and so much of it's kind of like apocalyptic yep. in nature. Um, and so, it's, it was really cool to see that the book of the New Testament that deals with those themes a lot of the language is similar as well. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I felt that way when I was reading Ezekiel last year. Uh, and Daniel's the same thing with, in Revelation in conjunction. Anyways, um, the other thing I would say, the other thing for me that I put in there is, and this goes back into like, and it's probably most recently in my mind because of the the most recency of Revelation, uh, but just the idea of God's grace and justice, uh, that they that it's not one or the other, it's both and. Uh, and he he puts his his dis, he puts on full display the depths of his grace, but the depths of his justice. That he is a just God. That he is he he is not if he doesn't show favoritism. Like he he is he is an equal opportunity uh, judge on on all things human. Uh, and so I think it was really cool for me just to be engaging that more in the book of Revelation is just seeing on display and even Ezekiel because there was that overlaps as well, which is ironic that those were the two things that were kind of second. Anyways, um, but I just think that that was pretty powerful. I think that was, it, it's God is, God is a full measure of not just grace and truth, but he's also a full measure of, of, of justice. He's a full measure of grace and justice as well. So I thought those were really incredible too. Uh, my third thing was, and again, I guess, I guess my first one was kind of like the one that was like, oh, this really helps the way that I read the Bible now. And my other three are just like, oh, I never thought about that before. So, uh, but my third one was, it was reading Jonah this year and kind of diving into it. And I had heard the story of Jonah however many times. I've read it however many times. This was the first time I ever realized that the reason Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh is because he hated the Ninevites. And maybe you're listening and you're like, yeah, Evan, you're an idiot, of course. <laughs> Duh. Um, but like growing, and maybe it was Veggie Tales with, uh, you know, the fish slappers or whatever it is. But for, <laughs> for most of my life, I thought the reason Jonah refuses at first is because he's afraid of what the Ninevites are going to do to him. Um, and then I realized like it's, it's in Jonah chapter four, when God gives mercy to the Ninevites, he said, see, this is why I did not want to go for, I knew that you were a, um, a forgiving God. And then also I realized, like, oh, like 
Jonah was never afraid of the Ninevites. He wanted nothing more than to preach uh, their destruction yeah, doom, to them. Doom and gloom. Yep. He was afraid of the mercy of God. And so that's where like, anyway, I think I, I think we titled the episode, like, I don't care for Jonah, which is an old like Arrested Development joke of basically like, I love all the minor prophets equally. I don't care for Jonah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it just really, it drove home the themes of mm-hmm. what the book of Jonah is trying to explore and, th- and that really find their fulfillment in the New Testament where Jonah, um, I say rightfully, carefully, because he doesn't rightfully hate the Assyrians because that's clearly not what God wants, but he, I guess, justifiably hates the Assyrians is the right word to use. But there's, I guess there's reasons, right? It's not just kind of this blanket um racism because like they're foreigners it's because they're brutal people like yeah, so yeah, yeah. like jonah has his reasons um but god calls him to love those people that he wants to hate and i think it's really powerful that later on what do we see we see um god calls the disciples and particularly paul but all the disciples end up going to preach not just to their own people but to go into the foreign lands to go to the gentiles and offer them the gospel. Yeah. So I, I think it's a really cool connection there. Yeah. Uh, the last one I wrote, uh, Evan wrote four. I only wrote three total, total transparency. Um, but in, and these were ones like, I agree with you. I think the first one is like the redemptive narrative was, it just changes the way you read scripture. And when you see it, uh, become more and more vibrant as, as the year goes on, it's really challenging. Um, I think then it's just like deep, profound ideas or realities of who God is. And so it's, it's interesting. Like mine was an overarching thought as I read the scripture, Second was a, a little bit deeper, challenging picture I see of who God is. And then the final, like the third one is, I just titled it this way, I said, I'm Israel. Um, and we've had, I don't know how many podcasts or episodes we've talked about, the, just the idea. And I think even in some of my conversations, bringing a full circle, like, but that's me. Like, I, I, I'm rebellious. Like, I'm stubborn. I, I don't listen. I don't, I don't, I, I'm wanting to, to worship other things or, or I go to God for the gifts that he's given me or the provision that he's given me, but I don't care about serving him. I just want what he has for me. Um, and so like in all of the, in all of the conversations we've had, you know, through the prophetic books, through the old Testament, through the new Testament, through the history, it's all like, it comes back full circles. I'm reading like, oh man, I'm Israel. <laughs> like at the end of the day, yep. I, I, it's easy to sit here and, and we joke about it. We've laughed about it in years past. And even this last year, and, uh, just about the, the ridiculousness of God's people, um, judges comes to mind, like, really? It's like, here, here we go again. Same cycle. Like, just stop worshiping something idols. Something seems like it's on repeat. Like, um, but at the end of the day, it's like, I walked away just like, oh man, Lord, I'm Israel. And I'm sorry that I'm Israel. <laughs> but that, I mean, that was probably the more personal, profound one that I had uh, at the, at, as we wrap up at the end of the year. Yeah, we, we, we should never look at the Israelites in the Old Testament and think, what a bunch of idiots. We should look at them and be like, yeah, that's, that's what I would do most of the time. Uh, the final one for me was, uh, and this is, it's really more of an Ezekiel thing, but it was because like, I was so struck reading through Ezekiel and just that passage where he sees the glory of the Lord depart. Um, and I was, I don't, I guess I just kind of like closed my eyes and imagined it. And I like just the fear of that moment and seeing like the glory of the Lord that arrived when they dedicated the temple and now it's gone. Um, and then I never realized until I was preparing for, um, I opened up our Christmas series this year for church. So it was really cool. Um, and so in my message, I was kind of just talking about the angel, the shepherds or the angels appearing to the shepherds. And I realized that when it says the glory of the Lord shone around the angels, that was the first time that the glory of the Lord had been seen since Ezekiel saw it leave the temple. So the, the glory of the Lord doesn't come back when the temple is rebuilt. We don't hear any reference to it in Ezra or Nehemiah or in Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Um, it comes back 
when Christ comes back. So I just thought that was really cool and really powerful. Um, and it kind of just blew my mind a little bit. And I think for me, I, you know, I love, I love the old Testament because sometimes I think we just kind of ignore it. Um, but I think having a good reading of the old Testament really helps inform and make even more powerful some of these passages in the new Testament about that directly, you know, are talking about like the Christmas story, our faith and things like that. So I think it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, listeners, for the final time this year. Thanks so much for listening. Yeah. Well, you know, this has been a podcast of the Grove Church, but uh, we are not the only podcast of the Grove Church. Uh, if you, you know, if you want to check out all other resources, you can go on our website, grove.church. And if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to financially contribute to the ministry that the Grove Church does, you can also do that uh, by going to our website. There's a give button in the upper right hand corner. But like Aaron said, Thank you all so much for listening. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.